0: I gotta tell you about my partner real quick. I got a partner I've been doing time with for over 30 years, and uh, he was 19. Um, He just got resentenced to 30 years. He's got 37 years in. And uh, anyhow, he's here. He landed here yesterday. It was so crazy, the day before yesterday. And uh, so he's got a good friend of his as attorney, and she's been keeping us in contact uh, with each other, what's going on with each other's stuff. And so on JPay, and so, I get an email from him yesterday saying he's here. And I couldn't understand why he wasn't on the streets, but anyhow, I'm going kind to of find out. He had a he had, he had a, the courts messed up. He'd done some time on, on a robbery <laughs> prior to this uh, this murder way back in the 80s, and he'd already served that time, but they're saying that he hadn't. So anyhow, he's still Andy's battling that, but, but that ain't the part I'm talking about. The part that, that, that really uh, um, is cool is that Keys, you know where Newport? Okay, so Newport's up north, of, north of Spokane. Okay, way up there. Uh, I think it's probably forty miles, fifty miles from the Canadian border. Anyhow, he's got a, he's got a ranch up there, and um, because uh, he, he got a settlement from stuff that happened when he was a kid, um, he was in foster care. Remember, I told you all of our stories are real similar. Like they're they, they have a common thread of, of abandonment, and addiction. And that's where he come from, and. Um, Anyhow, he's got a freaking place up there, man. It's so funny because he's got he's got he's got a thirty acre pasture. He's got forty acres total, and he's got nothing to put on them. He did hay last year, you know. He's got his sister up there. They don't know nothing. And so when I told him what I was doing, he's just like no way. And so long story short, man, we're gonna truck some cattle up there and dump them on his pasture for him to help him keep that pasture uh, down for the summer. And he wants to um, he wants to. Uh, get involved with what I'm doing as far as the cattle company and the business goes. Nice. That's crazy, right? I mean, yeah. you never know, man. You know?
1: Yep. Yeah. And so he sounds oh, like uh, like he's on a much better path as well.
0: Oh, for sure. Oh, he's got, uh, you could Google it. Actually, his name is Art Longworth. And he's an author. He's written books and all kinds of stuff. I don't know about none of that. It's not my, <clears throat> my cup of tea. But, yeah, he's a really smart and intelligent guy. <laughs> Come from a really bad background. Yeah. And really, you know, made himself. But, yeah, he's an author. He's telling me. He's just briefly. He's really quiet and doesn't, doesn't, he doesn't indulge a lot of information, especially something he doesn't know. Right. Um, he's like that type of guy, almost like an introvert, almost, you know?
1: Yeah. And what did you say his last name was?
0: Longworth. What? L-O-N-G. W-O-R-T-H. And
1: is he, is he native? No, no. No. He's white. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: Oh, God. We've been doing time together. We met the joint back years ago when we were both younger and, you know, obviously not making the right decisions. Right. And, um, that's how we met and that mutual respect is whatever context, whatever you want to call it back then, you know. Yeah. And, um. Uh, we just we just up known each other ever since, and run across each other here time to time. And we've just done a lot of time together in different different places. <clears throat> yeah, he's a good guy, man. I'm 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 just stoked how far he's come because uh, he's a very tough dude. Like back when we were kids, man, he was tough. I mean, this kid, this guy could fight. I mean, he's gnarly fighting I mean, he just right anyhow. So to see where he's at today, and has been for many years now, I'm just totally impressed with his, his transformation. Totally impressed. Uh, nice. just, I'm just, real proud of you. You know
1: what I mean? Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, you know, yeah. you guys are the exception, you know, not the rule. And I love right. hearing that, you know, there are more people that are heading down a better path so that when they do get released, you know, they can live a much different life. Welcome to Reservation Redemption, the podcast based off the documentary with the same title, I'm your host, Brenda Fisher, and I'm a descendant of the Yakima tribe. In this episode, I'm speaking with Arthur Longworth. Arthur was incarcerated with Chief Rice uh, for, gosh, a lot of years. He was incarcerated for 38 years and they became friends. Chief is still incarcerated and has been for 35 years. Arthur has an amazing story to tell, one of which, Some of you out there might know firsthand or even had a family member deal with the same issues. I have learned so much on this journey and of things I had no idea that they existed and the atrocities that children around this country have faced, not only Indigenous children that we're going to really dive into as we walk farther on our journey, but also non-Indigenous children that are completely forgot by the system or within the system nice to see you too i know we've been chatting for a while and um we're finally doing this so this is awesome of course you know we're talking because you know chief and uh, you spent some time with him on the inside and so i wanted i want to hear a little bit about your story because your story is very similar Achieve story. And really interesting, even when I looked up your picture from when you were 18, you guys look similar. Your hair was similar. It was kind of eerie um, that you, you know, went through the same types of things in your life. And so why don't you tell us um, about your childhood? Um, Because I know like a big piece of what we are finding out is that it does make a difference in how you're raised, how you're supported, and you know if you don't have any type of um, support, guidance, you know, someone to listen, um, it, it just seems like that is the you know the first steps that we're seeing for kids who end up incarcerated.
2: Um, well, in regards to growing up, uh, it, I mean it's pretty simple. I, I didn't have parents, so uh, um, that left it up to the state to raise me, and you know in in this state. Um, you know, they, they um, historically just raised us um, in boys homes. Mm -hmm. They had uh, like a a network of boys homes all over the state, usually in the far rural, rural reaches. Um, And and so I I was raised in in boys homes till I was 16. And then back in those days, they pretty much just cut you loose on the streets. Uh, You know, yeah.
1: And no support, no way of like really making it or, or trying to be, you know, assimilated to society at that point.
2: Well, I mean, that's a good, that's a good point, right? Uh, uh, There's no support on the way out of the boys home, but you know, that the groundwork was, was set in the boys home, right? There was no support in the boys homes. They were like uh, orphanages where never saw a medical doctor. Wow. They hardly bought you any clothes. We didn't go to school. We mandatory work. Yeah, they did not send us to school. Last grade I went to was 7th grade. Uh ne- never saw a doctor. Um so there was no support as a kid growing up. So it isn't a mystery why there was no support when they boot you out the door. But you're right. but you're booted out the door with, you know, with no education, no money, no support, no training, no role models. Um that was the reality of the situation. And so
1: they're setting you up for failure, basically.
2: I mean, there's truth to that, but I don't. I don't think it's conscious. It's just. It was just negligence, Um right. And and and, uh, you know, there was a whole lot of people that profited off that. I mean, they right. made us. They made us work every day. So these 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 boys' homes were run by private organizations
1: mm-hmm.
2: that got money from the state for allegedly taking care of us, but. It, they, they gained their greatest profit from cutting every corner they possibly could, which meant just providing us with nothing. No one was no no one was overlooking that. Um, these aren't just accusations I'm making. It's all part of the court record in this state. The state continually, generation after generation, pays out millions of dollars for their failures in in their in their in their in their, their child raising institutions. So the like the things I'm saying aren't. They're they're provable in a court of law. The state admits to them. The state doesn't even fight these cases. It just settles them.
1: Absolutely, and that boy's home is giving out settlements because of the intense abuse and neglect that happened within them. Um, So, and we're hearing a lot of other homes as well that Native American kids were forced into, Um, boarding school situations where run by the Catholic Church and they were extremely abused and their parents were told they couldn't come and get them or they would go to jail Uh, that just blows my mind so you know doing this research and working on this project I mean I'm learning so many things about what has you know gone on and how kids are treated and it's really scary it's really scary um, and then, you know, then when you make a major mistake or do something horrible, oh, no, you know, you just go to prison and, you know, nobody takes into consideration the, the machine that built the monster. And, you know, that's definitely something we want to shine a light on um, to how you, you got there. How long were you incarcerated?
2: Um, I was in prison for 38 years.
1: 38 years. And you were um, in for murder and that you did that at 17 correct
2: no i I was 19.
1: oh you were 19 okay so you were just a couple years older than he was when yes when he fell so um so you basically though kind of walked the same road and at what point during your incarceration did you meet chief
2: um i'm a few years older than chief
1: Mm
2: -hmm. so i had been in like four or five years uh but i was still young you know I, I was still in my early 20s when i met chief and he's younger so he must have been 18 or 19 when i met him and uh wow and it's a small a small universe in there even though there's thousands of people
1: yeah.
2: um you know we all know each other we all um have the same weight on our back uh pressing down on our chests um affecting our, our families or what we have of families and uh and we're in close proximity to each other, you know. So even though there's thousands of people in prison there, we're compacted into small spaces.
1: Right, so what was your experience when you met him? And um, it sounds like you guys became friends and stayed friends, even though you were moved around and weren't always in the same cell block, Uh, but it sounds like you always stayed connected.
2: That's true, that's true. And even when we weren't in the same prison, um, we would remain in contact. We've always remained in contact. Um, But meeting chief, you know, it was just about, um, when you're young in prison, you're either gonna make it or you're not. And so, um, you know, uh, I saw a young person who was determined to make it and do the best he could. And that meant um, trying to cultivate something in prison. It didn't seem like he had much of, before he came to prison and that was a family. You know, um, and that's what struck me about Chief always um, cobbling together as best he could a family, supporting them from prison, where you're literally making only pennies on uh, for every hour of your work. Um, sending that home, you know, to his girl um, and helping raise two kids who I, I got to know, who I, I loved. Uh, he had the cutest little girl, uh, Alyssa, uh you know, she grew up in the visiting room. That was important. That was always important to Chief. Uh, his his family, his, that seemed to be to me, and I'm only looking at this second person, but um, the foundation he built his life on and the and his ability to go forward. Because, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you're going there young with that kind of sentence, you really need something more um, than yourself to care about. Right. Because we can't care about ourselves enough to survive in there. Right, um, that might not make sense to someone outside prison, but you need something bigger than yourself to care about uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna make it something to live for. Uh, and I saw him building that in uh, his beautiful family, with who I still know and uh, respect, and I'm in contact with. Yeah,
1: nice. I know that you became a writer in prison, and the you know the similarities between you in chief you know your last year of education was seventh grade his last year was eighth grade and again you know his situation was he didn't have support um wasn't doing well when he started freshman year and apparently he dropped out because of it um and then just went to work so that was a situation that he was in um so you um basically kind of did what he did. You you read a lot and you kind of educated yourself. And then you became a writer and you actually wrote a book. Can you tell us more about that?
2: The book was never meant to be published. Um, the book was just a manuscript I wrote um, while, while we were in Walla Walla. And it's about the prison. Um, and um, I felt necessary to write um, because I felt like, as prisoners, we just got so mired in, in in the misery of the situation. Everything seemed mundane. Right. And I wanted, uh, so I wrote the book for my fellow prisoners. Um, it's it, Everything's in the book is real. Every prisoner's in it is real. Every staff member, every incident is real. But by putting in manuscript form, prisoners could look at it and say, no, this isn't mundane. This shouldn't be happening. Um, this is messing us up actually. So the, 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 the manuscript floated around prison for like 15 years mm-hmm. that the staff tried to get rid of it. Right. They tried to find every copy they could and destroy wow. it, but it survived until finally an English teacher, uh, uh, just a, a teacher from a community college came into the prison and was teaching English when somebody gave him one of the manuscripts and he, oh, wow. uh, he took it out of the prison and, you know, um, Took it to a publisher and was responsible for getting it published, and he later got kicked out of the prison because they accused him of smuggling out the manuscript, which they, is contraband, right? But Why? They're very sour. the The book is the book is actually banned in Washington State prisons. The uh, the DOC banned it. Yeah, they're that angry about it. But what's that tell you? I mean, about what that book shows, right?
1: Yeah. Obviously there's truth in there that they don't want to get out.
2: It is all truth, right? One of the wow. one of the one of the hallmark incidents in the book is is when a young black prisoner is shot and killed in the in the book by a guard. They don't like that because that is a real person that was 21-year-old Ab- Abdul Ali who got shot in the head and killed in and, and he didn't have that coming. Right? He did not have that coming.
1: That's awful.
2: It is awful. So you, do you, you know the, the
1: circumstances, like why i w- w- did
2: that? I I, I I was there, I was mm-hmm. there, um, and Ab- Abdul was a young prisoner, 21. He w- was only in for two years on a on a drug offense. Mm-hmm. Should never even have been in the worst prison in the state, right? Two right. years on a drug offense. They sent him there. They put him in. They stuff us all in these four man cells that are overcrowded. They stuffed him in there with some older guys who were bullying him. So he felt the only way he could stick up for himself was to fight one of them, and 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 to do it in a safe place, out out in front of the guards. So he felt like fighting one of them out in front of the guards would be safe. So he he hit the guy, and when he hit the guy, the guards shot him in the head and killed him. And the narrative from the 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 guard in the in the prison was that it was necessary to protect the prisoner he attacked. I mean, how you, how can we argue against that, right? But it wasn't yeah. right it wasn't oh. right
1: well especially because he wasn't armed and wasn't armed you know the guards can't get control of it
2: yeah it, it there's no ex, there's no explaining mm-hmm. to it there's no excuse for it but you're oh. you're hostage you're hostage to the system when you're inside there's no one to call it in, into question right. though the only story is 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 the state story I don't mean to sound cynical and skeptical, but it's just the nature of that circumstance.
1: It just is what it is. And it's too bad. It is really too bad that things like that happen. And, you know, it's not much difference out here either. You know, that we were dealing with the same things happening and people being shot and that were unarmed. And um, it's a little scary, a little scary. Mm -hmm. So especially when, you know, it's authority. What are you going to do? You know, you can only stand up so much, um, or fight so much. I
2: think possibly. you guys are doing great. So I think you guys outside of prison are doing great. What I saw is a bunch of people taken to the streets saying enough. Yeah,
1: can't do and the,
2: you can't the, do that in prison.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, you're you're a captive audience and there's nothing you can do. There's you can't go home after, you know, you protest. You're you are home.
2: What you can do is is get taken to long term solitary confinement and 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 you'll be broken because I guarantee you, they put you in a cell. You don't ever get out for at, at the very least a year and and maybe several years. Oh, my God. That's the reality if you want to protest in prison. Right. So it's a whole different situation and a whole lot harder to hold any account to the people over your life. It's right. part of the weight that's on your back and on your chest at all times. It's, it's what chief has faced every day of his life yeah. and is still facing today. Yeah. Those are the circumstances.
1: And you both had to grow up in prison and decide what type of men you were going to be. Because you went in as kids. You absolutely went in as kids. You were not equipped for any of that. Um, and, you know, we hear constantly that they're saying that until about 22 to 25 The brain is not completely developed, so your impulse control and decision-making is not there, and this is why we need good parents and people to supervise and, you know, make sure you're making good decisions and that um, you're not left to your own devices because I don't think any kid is equipped, and and who knows, you know, what kind of mistakes I might have made if I didn't have strict parents that you know paid attention to where I was at all times and you know when you're a kid you're like oh my parents are so you know awful because they don't let me do anything and you know and now it's like I know why (laughs) because they don't want you to be in a situation where something goes wrong and and it affects the rest of your life so I totally get that and you guys didn't have that and you you know made a big mistake had to grow up in prison had to make your decisions on you know what you were going to do um and to me it's like you know you became a writer and chief has become this amazing organizer and um just this force of like positivity in helping others and that's amazing because I think you guys are more the uh, exception and not the rule for sure um And I know that he's talked about, you know, really following his culture and um, Francis Kaluuya who came in and really turned the light on for him. And finally, having that, you know, I think that male role model that he never had, a positive male role model who showed him that, you know, you can be a, a good man or you can, you know, live the prison life. You decide. and. And I think that was really amazing. And to watch that transformation of who he became, um, you know, I'm really proud of him. And I think we talked about the fact that we grew up together. And I I found our first grade uh, class picture. And uh, I was laughing because we both look ridiculous. But <laughs> um, and just, you know, he was always a super kind person. And so, you know, I was shocked when um. We found out what, you know, his circumstances were and what was happening. And and he didn't have a lot of, you know, family support. His dad never showed up for him, ever. I mean, this man, if I could speak to him, I would have some words as being a mother now. Um, yeah, just how he treated Chief and how Chief grew up. It was like, he might as well have raised himself because he pretty much did. Um, and that's just sad. Uh, at his trial, at his sentencing, um, there were only four of us that spoke up. He had an aunt and uncle. He had Doris, who was the, you know, mom of one of the kids we went to school with. Doris, and, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, she's fabulous. And then, and me. I was his only friend. And I had no idea that I was the only one that stood up for him back then. Um, I just, I guess I assumed there'd be more people. I assumed his, his dad would be there. And finding out later that... Almost no one showed up for him. You know, he was on his own. And that's just, you know, how it was from when we were little kids. And it just made me realize that, man, what a difference having, you know, parents that cared versus parents that didn't. So, um, and in your case, no parents. So um, how old were you when you were given up? Uh, 11. 11? Yeah. Yeah. And so you knew? Did you know both of your parents? Yeah, you did.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's hard to refer to them as that because right. they never played that role. So yeah, that isn't a reference I use. I don't really even know them.
1: Yeah. So, do you know why they gave you up? Was it?
2: I, I um, you know, um, I I have a couple sisters, and we've come to kind of consensus belief that it was just mental illness.
1: Okay. Was that, do you know if that was chemically driven? Like, were there drugs involved, alcohol, anything that?
2: I don't, we were too young. We were too okay. young to know really, what really. What was happening?
1: Really... And were all, all, you have two sisters, so all three of you were given up? Mm-hmm. Wow. And you didn't, obviously you went to a boy's home and where did they go?
2: So, um, you know, not to they went they went to different homes. Um, they went to different homes. Um, mm-hmm. um, they had a a, a, um, a policy back mm-hmm. back in those days. They've changed it since. They oft, often institute these harmful policies until they realize how harmful they actually are. And the policy back then was, when they take family members from a family, they can't mm-hmm. be placed with any other family members.
1: That seems ridiculous
2: it's it's also very harmful right they separated all of us and that's what they did back in those days they separated olives and they didn't place us with any extended family members because you know that would qualify as being placed with family members so that that's the way it was
1: that makes no sense and now they want you to go to family
2: right so they've reversed that maybe because they've recognized the harm but they often don't they institute policies like that in that system and they often don't recognize the harm until um, the people that are subject to those harms grow up and are either express them negatively through a serious violent crime. Um, and they, they become aware, oh yeah, we screwed this person up or it's voiced from a, a group of people. But, but at the same time, you know, they were doing this to me, my, my white family, the native Americans in the in the boys' home system, were, were all being forbidden to, to see their relatives. They were all being forbidden to speak their language whatever language that was, yeah. You know, under 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 penalty of getting thrown in juvenile hall. Wow. Yeah, it was awful. It was awful. So the kids that I saw, you know, this was more than coincidence or happenstance. The kids that I saw who killed themselves the most in that boys' home system were the Native Americans. I'm not sure. I don't know why. They were facing often harder circumstances than us. Right. Being, being forbidden from seeing their relatives or any relatives coming to see them. But more often than, than any other boys, they they killed themselves.
1: Wow. You know, and it's, again, the more I learn about how kids are treated in the system, it, it just infuriates me that people do not take having kids as seriously as they should. I always say, you know, I think people should have to have a license to have kids. They really need to take it seriously, and they don't. A lot of the time, kids are treated like an accessory. And, you know, I've heard quotes that it takes $300,000 to raise a child until they're 18. If people really thought about that or, you know, young people, it's like, really think about what you're doing because bringing a child into this world and if you can't take care of them and they go into foster care, you know, it's a crapshoot if they're going to end up in a good family or a bad family and how they're going to be treated and they're going to be traumatized anyway because they've been, you know, rejected by their family. Um, And it just, you know, especially with, I guess, this new, you know, the Roe versus Wade and they're talking about, you know, overturning the federal part of it it's like guys we're going in the wrong direction here Um, and I get the whole you know pro-life thing and you know it's a human and all of that but most of the pro-lifers they scream that but how many kids are they adopting and taking care of you know it's like they like to talk the talk but nobody wants to walk the walk so that's you know a huge issue And that needs to change. And I don't know what we can do to, you know, turn the light on for people. And, you know, if, if they, you know, if someone gets pregnant, it's like, make sure that you can, you know, if you're going to have that kid that that kid's going to have a good quality of life or just don't do it. I could get on my soapbox all day with this. But. Well, I,
2: I I I like it. You know, I mean, I like it. I mean, there's so much truth to that. And, and what, what you're talking about there, though, is affecting everyone from individual basis. I mean, we we have serious societal, social issues um, where it would be better if 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 we had better family structures. And but in the absence of that, there is one a way to address this with only a single entity and that's that's the state so when the state you know takes 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 over I mean, we they should which we should be um addressing you know how kids are raised who are failed yeah. by their so if parents are going to fail which they are we have a long history of failing kids as parents um how can we build a, a state system that, that that works that respects people's Cultures, their families, backgrounds—that raises healthy, healthy kids. Um, right, and we can do it. We can do it, um, but we're not doing it. Um, and it's in 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 the. I'm just struck by how much those people made in those boys' homes. Right, they they made a lot, but in, on the scale of how much is lost, it isn't even a comparison. So they made a lot from exploiting kids. We grew up and failed. Um, well, we failed before we grew up. And we have to be raised, we have to go through prison, years and years of prison. Right. You talked about a sum of $300,000 to raise a kid. Well, that's only a couple years in prison. You've already spent $300,000. So yep. when you you have to put people away for a lifetime because they failed as a kid, you know, that's not even a comparison. So um, I, I guess I'm, I'm like you, I could get on my soapbox about that. But I think the state needs, we really need to, who is the state now? As as, right. the, as a kid being raised by the state, I used to th- think of the state as this faceless monster. I mean, that might sound yeah. crazy, but they were in control of my life. But now as an adult, I realize the state is really us, us people with responsibility, right? In this democratic right. society, we could change things if we stand up. Um, and um, so I, I, that's what I'm working to try to do, you know, or at least do my yeah. part. So kids yeah. don't have to face what we, we did, me and Chief did as, as, as young people.
1: Absolutely. There needs to be more support for sure. And I think if they really talked about the number of kids that end up in foster care, that end up neglected, that end up abused, I think that number would be astronomical. And when you are breaking these kids down from day one, you know, eventually, you know, once that kid is completely broken, what what do people think is going to happen? You know they're gonna lash out they're gonna be angry they're going to be you know they're just not gonna think right and you know and we're unleashing this on everybody so I think that people need to be so much more aware of what is happening out there and especially in some of the you know like you said you know the Caucasian kids got it bad but the Native Americans got it so much worse to where they were committing suicide um, on a regular basis, and you know that's really scary. You know that certain you know groups are targeted and treated. You know, it, and this has been going on. You know, in our society, for you know going way back, and we're still trying to to get to the point where you know treat people with respect, and you know judge them by their character, and stop thinking about you know, what do they look like? Who are their people? You know, what are the, what is their culture? It's like, who cares? You know, it does not matter. It's like, so frustrating to me that, you know, people still do that. And, you know, and, and kids, you know, are all, I think we're all born, you know, thinking that we, you know, when we're little kids, we play with everybody and we're friends with everybody. And it's, You know, I never saw differences really. Okay, you have a different culture. I don't care. You're, you know, my friend. And my son, I raised him the same way. He had no idea that there were differences that he just thought, you know, some people had a better tan than he did. He had had no clue. Um, And we as a society, we need to think that way and we need to help everybody. And maybe one day we'll get there. And and I love that, you know, you're trying to be an advocate for, for change and that, you know, you have an experience that not a lot of people that are now on the outside have had and so with your experience you know you can help educate and you, know, you can do so many things you should do a ted talk that's what i think, <laughs> I we'll, think get t- we'll ask
2: ted we'll ask ted we'll try to get ted on board with that
1: yeah yeah the ted talks are like so big but yeah at some points you know because the word needs to get out and you know interviewing the people that i've interviewed it is just opened my eyes and to a, a completely different understanding of what happens out there and and I you know it's, I think it's more of a socio-economic thing than anything I I don't think it really has as much to do with race or culture but more of a socio-economic you know people who you know have parents that do well and work hard and treat you know teach you a work ethic compared to you know maybe somebody who's really poor and has to live off the system because they're not educated and they had kids young and you know but there are some amazing parents that you know have had that situation and still have done really well so it's not an excuse and it doesn't mean that you know people with more money are going to raise their kids better because we know that's not true either um monsters can come out of you know anywhere some people are you know born sociopath you know sociopaths and then you know some kids are just so broken that they make bad decisions and so desperate or so desperate for to survive yes survival exactly survival mode and just you know not thinking straight um or what the consequences might be um until after the action is done and then you're you know so surprised at what you've done and you know so ashamed and so um wishing you could take it back you know a 100 times over but you can't once it's done it's done and then you've got to face the consequences and your consequences 38 years no no just just right. to be
2: just to be clear like that was the end result 38 years but okay no they, they, they sentenced me to life without parole i had the same sentence chief has okay um um and it was always that sentence all the way up until the time they released me and they only release me because um, we have new members on the on the state supreme court who decided in the line of thinking that you were expressed earlier that young people just aren't as culpable right because their brains are forming and they're especially those that uh, come from adverse circumstances so we have gracious supreme court justices who changed that but I was not sentenced to 38 years. There is a big difference. There is a big difference, Mm -hmm. right? I've known people that could get sentenced to 38 years, and you only do a third of that. I mean, two thirds of it. Right. You always have that end goal in mind, so you know when you're getting out, and you can work towards Mm -hmm. that. It's a whole other monster to be thrown in prison when you're young and be told you're going to die there.
1: Right. Right? Yeah.
2: And so, you know, and that's where Chief still is. Yeah. That's what he's facing.
1: And it's not, I wouldn't say, I don't know if it's the word fair, but it's not even how they have, um, I guess, you know, decided how long people are going to be in prison. I just listened to a podcast about two little girls that were um, abducted, uh, raped and murdered and two different guys completely um they thought it was going to be the same guy because it happened within such a short period of time and Mm -hmm. the same type of mo Uh, but it was two different guys um they this is first and only time they'd done it um at least you know they didn't have the dna but it was back in 1986 but these guys only got like 20 years and You know, so they're going to be up for parole, like you said, in a third of that, maybe, maybe half because it was, you know, the circumstances of the little girls. But, you know, how come a grown man who stalks a child and then, you know, rapes and murders her, they only get 20 years. You murdered somebody, but it was an adult or at least a teenager, somebody older.
2: Adult, yeah, adult. Adult,
1: adult. Um, and you didn't have all the extenuating circumstances you know, of the little girls. And But yet you got life without parole and you were 19 years old. So why are they giving more time to kids than they're giving to grown ass men? That's what I don't understand. It is <laughs> Not even, same, and it was in Washington state. Same state as you guys.
2: Um, and you could find a, a thousand examples of that and mm-hmm. those examples are glaring when you're in prison with life without parole and you've been there when mm-hmm. you' because you're watching those people. Yeah. You're in there with them and you're watching them leave and I've right. watched them leave year after year and there's many of them. but it's it has to do with the way our, our court system is set up. Who's better able to defend themselves in court? Who has the resources? a grown, yep. grown-ass man who's worked a while has some resources yep. a grown-ass man with f- family members has, has family resources and money yep he's also Absolutely. better able to decide and make deals with with the prosecutor in the court make plea bargains mm-hmm. and deals i'd be willing to bet i don't i'm not familiar with the particular cases you're talking about but i'm willing to bet that there were deals made oh i'm sure and, and they could decide on them it is really right. easy it is really for the easy for the state to squash and step on and not di- and disregard a young person with no family or resources and that's what happens in our system.
1: Yep. And yeah, it just seems so ass backwards to me and it's like, you know, still it's like yes, you committed a you know, a major offense, you know, you guys are not dis- you know, discounting that at all and I want to make sure that people know that yeah. because I know how you felt and how ashamed you were and how, you know, you wished you could have taken it back just like Chief, you know, to this day, he can't talk about it um, without getting completely emotional. He just can't even go there. And so we don't talk about it. Um, It's, it's a lot. And it's like, you know, you guys are not monsters. You and Chief are not sociopaths, you know, you you. will not reoffend. You know, I think you guys will both do amazing things. And it's awful that you had to go to prison to become the men that you are and start your life now really at the age that you are. But I think you both have a lot to offer. And I really hope at some point we can all join forces and help educate people and really open their eyes to what's happening out there and how... They're culpable for building these monsters as well, and I I think that people always think it's someone else's problem until it happens to their family, and no, this is all our problem, because, you know, a kid growing up could make a major mistake, and you could be the victim, and then you are involved at that point. Um, But I just think people always think it's just not going to happen to them or not going to happen to someone they know or their family. And, you know, I was Chief and I were the same age when it happened and it was the most horrible thing in our entire community. And we were in a small community and they would not take the trial somewhere else. So he was under all that scrutiny from all the local people and he was the most hated man in our entire valley and you know standing up for him was scary it was very scary you know i was still a kid too but it was right after i graduated from high school it was that summer that i had to testify on his behalf and trying to explain to people the guy i knew you know was the sweetest guy he was so well spoken and everyone liked him i don't know anyone who didn't like him you know especially through eighth grade and um, he was fun, and the fact that you know he went in that downward spiral and got into drugs and had nobody you know really looking out for him, um, except maybe Doris, you know, because he would come to their house and he was friends with their son. And you know when we were kids, and I know like everybody who really thought back and knew him, I'm sure they were surprised. Yes, he was, you know, that kid that. Um, you know was kind of not really wild but you know he had no nobody really telling him to do anything you know or giving him any guidance so he was just on his own so he was kind of the wild kid you know that's what ended up happening and but now it's 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 good to see the man that he has become and i always tell people you know that's why i stood up for him because i knew who he was and I knew he wasn't that monster. He just happened to be lost and make a major mistake.
2: And he wasn't. And, and you know, just to be clear, he, mm-hmm. he wasn't alone, right? And and that's one of the, that's one of the elements or dynamics that the Supreme Court talked about, mm-hmm. even in the United States Supreme Court. Um, yeah. Um, kids can desperate kids together trying to survive become more dangerous, right? Um, yeah. In 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 a group, um, so.
1: That's very true.
2: I just, I just wanted to add that, right? He wasn't alone. He wasn't alone. That wasn't all him.
1: Yeah, he wasn't alone. It wasn't something that was planned. It was just a bad decision one night and you know, his entire world changed. You know, a lot of our worlds changed that, that day. Um, And you know, someone else commented, you know, when you go to prison, you take all your friends and family with you. So. You know, I think we were all anyone who cared about him was affected by it, whether they stood up for him or tried to bury it. You know, anybody that knew him, you know, it, it affected them for sure. Um, but tell me, tell me like a cool story about an experience that you had, you know, with Chief being um, inside in the prison.
2: You know, the, uh, there's just so many of them. I, I, I'm not sure what to pick. I mean, we've, we've lived our, our lives together. Yeah. Um, and I, I already told you about, you know, basically his kids being raised in the prison visiting room, mm-hmm. um, and just being the, the sweethearts of, of the, of the visiting, of the visiting program. Mm-hmm. But, um, I think, I think that, you know, I, I, I was thinking back to, you know, all the years and all the times I, I've seen him. But you know, what, what struck me most is, is, is actually nowadays, you know, I, I've just been out three weeks and I was just up there with them and it felt like coming full circle, you know, um, starting all these decades in prison together. And, and uh, it seemed more than just a twist of fate where we were together on the way out the door and our, our families are connected um, and, uh, I, I just made that commitment in my heart. Whatever it takes, we're gonna get him out. Um I I I don't deserve to be out here without you know him coming out too, right? Yeah. How do how do I get this this chance? And I was a couple years older when I when I killed someone as a young right. person.
1: Yep. How do I get
2: this chance and leave him in there? I can't let that happen. Yeah. So
1: and I think that's where we're all striving, you know, for that to show. You know who he's become and in the last 25 years you know he's been such a force of being of service to other people i'm just really hoping that the judge sees how many lives he's touched in such a positive way and how many you know people on the inside that he's i call it his merry band of men that get together and make all these things that they send out to help families in need and tribal elders. And it's just such a cool story. And the fact that, you know, he did that just because it was the right thing to do. And, you know, seeing people appreciate the things that he does. And, you know, all of that, I think that has really been a huge force for him and in lifting him up and helping him, you know, carry on and continue and, and stay on the right path. And I think it's been really inspirational. So...
2: It has, but there, there's anxieties in this, and the anxieties yeah. shouldn't. The anxieties I have anxieties about the politics, um, and it shouldn't be about politics because on the surface our laws right. look, our laws look like they're for everyone across the board. The 39 counties in Washington State,
1: mm-hmm.
2: the law should, is applied evenly to everyone across the county, but that isn't that isn't the case. So young people like me are being. Taken back to counties that are in the cities, in the Puget Sound area, you know, the, the population capitals, Seattle, Everett, Tacoma, um, um, and being resentenced by judges who get it, who understand what the Supreme Court mandate is. My anxiety is for the young people who were convicted in, in these rural counties mm-hmm. that the judges don't get it and are in revolt to the state Supreme Court, which happens to be one of the counties chiefest from. Which worries me. Yes. Which has a, good, uh, a, 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 a judges bench that's predominantly almost all white, you know, judges who've been around uh, for forever, uh, t- attempting to administer to a largely Latino and Native American population. I'm, I'm worried about the the politics. Um, yes. But I don't know if the, I should say that, but I'm just going to say it. You know.
1: Yeah. That's what worries me. And it's true. Because it happens and, you know, people have their biases and it, you know, he has to go back to a very conservative, um, court and judge and, you know, the people who changed the law in Washington state to, you know, reconsider, um, parole for those who were incarcerated as kids, um. I'm sure they didn't come out of, you know, those areas. Um, no. It came from somewhere else. So he's up against it. We all know that. And I think we're all praying and, and hoping that, you know, what he's done as a human being to help other people will be enough um, to show the judge that he's not going to reoffend. He's probably going to be, you know, a really great citizen. I think he's going to continue to help um, at-risk youth. And and I think of course. you know you got- Yeah, you guys teaming up and explaining, this is how we got there. How can we stop this? How can we, you know, make sure kids are given a chance to grow up as good and, you know, law-abiding adults? Um, But it starts, you know, when they're kids and we can't just throw them to the wolves and then expect them to, you know, grow up right, or how we expect them to grow up, you know, it just doesn't work that way. So, anyway, so Art, thank you so much for, you know, talking with us. Um, And I'm really, really, really happy that, um, you know, Chief has you as a friend. I think, you know, you guys are both really great people. And, you know, you you might have, yeah, and you might have started out in a bad situation when you were younger, but you guys you know pulled it out and turned into really great adults and you know and i know you want to pay it forward and i know that you know even though there are people who are like well you know your victims didn't get that chance why should you and it's like well it's not about vengeance it's about if you can change and if you can do something to pay it forward and to maybe stop someone else from you know, walking in, you know, the same path that you did to get to where you're at today and maybe make a better decision, um, you know, I think people need to realize that there's some good that can really come out of this and, you know, start thinking about the fact that if you guys can rehabilitate yourselves because the prison system's not doing it um, and you have that wherewithal and you've grown up to be uh, people who make good decisions, <laughs> so, you know, that's all you can ask for. It's really all we can ask for at this point, because, you know, having to grow up in prison that that can't be easy. It can't.
2: It was oh, good to so. it was good to meet you finally. Yeah, yeah it's well, really I, good
1: to meet you. And
2: this is kind of meeting you anyway.
1: Yes, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Well, thanks, Art. I'm sure we'll be talking again, and um, um, really excited to read your book. I have it. I just have to read it now.
2: <laughs> oh, good. I hope you find yeah. some time. Um, yeah. You know, and that will inform yeah. the experience just yes. just you know i mean that's where chief was right um yeah no that's that's really cool thanks thanks for telling me that
1: yeah, absolutely
2: and, uh, and what, whatever else i could do so okay. and when this when the sensing comes up i really want to be there right yes. I, I think uh i think it's all fine to 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 say we hope the judge uh understands and finds that chief has done these things and everything but you know at the end of the day our judges in washington are elected they're political officials so if there's a whole bunch of people in the courtroom where he sees that he'll be held accountable, I think I think that might do it. Anyway. Okay. I appreciate you.
1: Yes, absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate you as well. And we'll talk soon. Thanks for tuning in. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe and hit the bell so you're notified when we upload our next episode. Check out our website at reservationredemption.com. And if you have any inquiries or want to discuss your native journey, send me an email at reservationredemption at untamedriver.com. Please definitely include any stories. If you have missing members of your family, we definitely want to help. Follow us on Twitter, RezPodcast, so that's at R-E-Z-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Facebook, Res Redemption with R-E-Z Redemption. And an IG, it's just Reservation Redemption. Thanks so much again for listening in and we hope to uh, have you hanging out with us next time.